Uncaged. Uncaged. A show celebrating thought leadership from today's top business leaders. The program provides a voice to amazing executives from around the globe who are shaping the world of business today and mapping the path to the world of commerce tomorrow. And now, please welcome our host, Bant Breen, as we begin another Uncaged episode. Today, we're speaking with Nick McMahon. Hey, Nick, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Nick is the Chief Executive Officer at United Language Group. He has been the Chief Operating Office there. He's he's really worked his way through the organization, and we're going to talk a lot about United Language Group, which is, you know, one of the world's largest and most innovative translation, localization, and interpreting providers. They have offices in seven countries on three continents. And so we'll talk about their solutions in a bit. But before we get there, Nick, tell us a little bit about yourself and your career. I've been very lucky, like is everything, you know, I think a lot of hard work and a lot of luck. But um, I did get very lucky. I, I managed to come to America um, for two years, um, you know, just for, for a project. I was project manager. We had a client starting up and it was actually the Bay Area when the Bay Area was Silicon Valley. And um, I was like, hey, we should go out there. Like, it's crazy out there. And luckily enough, because it was like that time of life, there was a lot of capital around. And so as a company, we were able to make the investment. I came out as a project manager to set up an office in the US and it was for two years. Um, don't don't tell anyone, but I didn't even have a proper visa at that time. But um, but we came in and um, you know that was twenty years ago, and so it's it's really been a crazy ride for me. Um, from you know from a you know an opportunity perspective by coming to the to America, I'm able to grow and expand. About four years ago, we came part of the United Language Group through an a, a PE driven roll up. Um, and we really spent the last four years, you know, uniting that entity and getting, you know, the culture aligned and the cultural interwoven so we could really become, you know, one combined entity and not just the word united, but actually operate in a united fashion. And it's, it's been awesome. It's an amazing group of people. Um, I feel very privileged to, to be able to you know, act in a CEO capacity um, on their behalf. Um, but, it, but, but it's been amazing, right? A lot, lot of opportunity, a lot of luck. Um, and, and I would like to say probably, you know, quite a lot of hard work, too. <laughs> So, I mean, that's a great story. And you know what? The visa stuff, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah, <laughs> you got to do yeah. what you got to do. Yeah. I used and... to have to go backwards and forwards like all the time to, you know, before we could solidify it. But it's, yeah. it's funny now because we're such a bigger company, you know, we would never dream of just like sending someone over to a different country. <laughs> like, good luck over there. You know, here's a suitcase. Yeah, um, I hear you. Was, I hear you. But, yeah, but it was, that's what we needed to do back then. So uh, tell me a little bit more about United Language Group and, you know, the solutions that you guys provide and really what your focus is on right now. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, from outside the industry, you know, a lot of people always think about language as, you know, it's the sort of spoken word, the translation. But what we look at is language culture results. Um, and, the, and the concept is that the, the, the language is a very useful proxy to connect to a culture. And so when you're really trying to drive a product or a service forward, or, you know, we've spoken in the past around healthcare and trying to sort of work out what, you know, how do I get the best out of healthcare? Um, it's, it's a very good example of, of how language culture come together to produce a result. So when you first, you know, in, in a healthcare setting, you might have something like, you know, please take this pill or fill out this form. And, and what is heard by non-English speaking communities is please take this poison and fill out this deportation form. 
um, because they're not used to that environment. And that's not a language issue, but everyone's like, oh, we'll translate into Vietnamese. It'll be fine. It's, it's not a language issue. It's language is part of it, but language is a proxy for culture. And you must address culture and language to get a proper result. And what everybody cares about is, does that Vietnamese patient become better? Do they not readmit themselves into the ER in a month's time, you know, with more complicated conditions? And so United Language Group is really focused on, you know, not just in healthcare, but in many regulated markets, you know, help companies like Emerson and Oracle um, go global too. But it's, it's not just the translation component. It's how do we connect to the culture and how do we bring culture and language together to really create a result that is meaningful for that company? Yeah, no, I, I completely understand that. Certainly one of the things that as we've expanded globally, and even when we have people operating in English, is to be able to capture that local culture, cultural roots, the cultural appreciation, cultural understanding. Yeah. It, it's truly an important factor. Actually, it's an interesting thing from your past, not to, to, to share too much probably public information, but it's interesting that you were sort of in a in an English town called Oxford, where they speak English. Um, and then you went to an American town, you know, Miami, where they also speak, you know, maybe a little less so, but they speak English. Yes. Um, you know, like it's, it's a very mixed culture within Miami, but they, you know, predominantly speak English as US city. Um, and so therefore, because they speak English, they must be the same city. And, mm -hmm. and anyone that's been to both Oxford and Miami, they know that like lang that language, there's a lot more than language going on within that environment and i think when, yeah. when you don't speak vietnamese you might be like oh it's vietnamese but but it's the same difference you know? yeah the gentleman that drives our apac group uh has highlighted to us he'll sometimes say you know we really need to speak better australian <laughs> you're kind of like okay that's english but yeah. uh yeah. i you know yeah. it's obviously the cultural appreciation yeah, and the tonalities yeah. and all of those elements so what a fascinating area to be working in especially right now mm -hmm. i mean there's so much happening in the language space certainly from a technology perspective from a geopolitical perspective from you know almost every area when you look out into the business landscape today what are the kind of key driving forces for you guys yeah this is it's really is a really mixed bag for us like so it's been very interesting everybody right for the whole couple of last years has been may you live in interesting times it's been like that for the last couple of years um we've seen some sectors and some markets accelerate you know dramatically um, because, you know, you know let, let's go back to the LEP healthcare sort of market and the desire to provide a greater equity of, of outcome for non-English speaking patients. COVID really identified a weakness, like a real human level weakness and a massive impact where a whole section of the American society was not getting the same level of outcome and health benefit that English speaking members were. And, and, and so, so we've seen a significant acceleration in government, um, in many regulated bodies, in a desire to bridge this gap and create a, a, a more equitable outcome for services um, and availability of support um, from those agencies, from the healthcare bodies, from life science companies. And so, so those areas have really been driven, you know, it's been a huge shift, a huge shift, significant growth, significant opportunity, opportunity in those markets. Um, Conversely, we see companies, you know, in the manufacturing space, um, in the direct consumer space, where they are something like, what do we do about global expansion? You know, like, I mean, do we want to go into another global company, right? A country right now? You know, is this the time to be expanding globally? 
And so we've seen a lot of those sort of consumer focused um, verticals start to pull back a little bit, either through supply chain disruption um, or through uh, just, just a little bit of caution on the global economy and global outlook. So, so we're always like this, it's like, you know, you know, half good, half bad, and, you, and you're sort of balancing your way through it. I think as a, on an international basis, you can't, another thing that we've ultimately learned is you can't close the door to international markets. And so we, at, at this point, companies are so, so heavily integrated on an international scale. So when the Ukraine, you know, grain stops, it has a global impact. When the Chinese, you know, Shanghai market shuts down, it has a global impact. And so really more than ever, the, the need to understand, you know, certainly communicate, but connect to culture to really drive an outcome becomes vastly more important. And I think in the in the old days, you might have a customer go, okay, we'll just translate a bunch of stuff. And a bit, you know, not to be mean, but a bit like your Australian comment there. Um, in the old days, you could just translate a bunch of stuff because the Australian nation would come together and be like, you know yeah. what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with it and I'll learn it and I'll bridge the gap in culture. Now, the, the desire to truly connect, if you really want to grow a market, that with we're integrated, there's heavy competition, and, and now you must differentiate in that market. And if you want to differentiate in that market, you must connect to culture. You've to seen that there. with certain marketing and branding over the years as well. You know, some companies that like McDonald's, I remember when they really pushed into Europe and Asia and they really made an effort to build that local, local connection. Mm -hmm. And uh, certainly I would imagine probably some very, very young people might be surprised to even know that that's an international company, much less an yeah. American yeah. one. Yeah. yeah. So Heinz, for me, yeah. Heinz, I, growing up, Heinz makes Britain great. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, growing up, like that was a huge thing. Like, I, it wasn't until I was in my early 20s, I found out it was an American company. And I was like, I was like, what? That's a, a cornerstone of the UK history. Yeah. Oh, well, it's Heinz baked beans and Heinz salad cream, right? That's yeah. Right. Those are very yeah, really, British yeah. things. There was only uh, one salad dressing growing up. It was like there was, Heinz, <laughs> there was a salad cream. It was the only type of dressing available. Yeah. So, I mean, we've lived through this kind of crazy moment, Nick. I was just curious, you know, you obviously are handling language services. I imagine you guys perhaps are, are quite virtual in some ways and how you work already. But tell me a little bit of how the pandemic altered the way you guys work and perhaps some opportunities that came from it. Yeah, and in, in the written language part of our business, when we, let's say, you know, you think about websites or documentation of some sort, right? In the written part of our business, that was highly virtualized anyway. So, mm -hmm. you know, we, we did have core offices and people certainly went into core offices, but the reality was you could get a call at 6 you know, a.m., you can get a call at 10 p.m. Like it's, it's highly globalized, it's highly virtualized. And so people would go into an office, but that was more habit forming, I think, than, than any real requirement. And our systems always supported distributed workforce. So when we said to people, hey, on the written side of things, you're going home, it was more like, yeah, you know, like, okay. I, I think the concept that was going to be forever, that, that, that was a bit of a human challenge, um, but, it, but, but, but it was an easier achieved uh, transition. On, on the uh, 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 spoken side of language, right, interpretation, right, so some, when somebody calls and brings an interpreter onto a call, um, that was all in call centers. It was all mm. physical. It was all hardwired. You, you know, you need 
99.9999% uptime. You need highly resilient frameworks and networks to make sure that those calls always go through. You think if you're on a, a healthcare call or a 911 call, you can't drop those calls. Um, and, and, you know, as, as the rest of the world saw, you know, like overnight, like everybody had to virtualize. So, so I think ultimately it took us about three weeks, but that was three weeks of, you know, the people, our, our team, you know, working basically 24 hours a day to try to like make that happen. And it, it was really stressful. So 50, about 50% 50 of our business basically went from a history of completely physically in this highly infrastructured call center environment to, to virtualized. And it, it was a wow. huge shift for us. It was huge. Yeah, and no, I can imagine because you, you do have such a high level of control when you do have those call centers. Mm -hmm. And then even if you try to replicate that from one of these home-based call structures, it's very different. It's a it's, it's an interesting challenge. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I can imagine. Well, I mean, it's great to see, obviously, that the things seem to be building in with some of the verticals that you guys are working in. As you look forward into 2022, what are the main priorities? Um, for us, I mean, in, innovation does always drive, you know, you, you spoke to it, in, innovation for, for us always drives, you know, you know, obviously, like the future, I guess, I guess it's self-evident. But, it, but if, effectively, what we're looking at is neuro machine translation and natural language processing. Um, and increasingly, we're starting to use that AI-driven technology to improve the way that we are, you know, we can communicate. And it, and it's, you know, we, we'd have to do a separate hour on it. But but AI is fundamentally changing what the humans within our industry do. And and you know, the good news is you still need humans. You you know, we're not in a position where you're going to get rid of all human translation. Mm -hmm. But but you know, we, we've had. Machine translation, computers doing translation since 1953, right? So like, you'd be like, oh, okay, like it's AI, this is the net new thing. And I think a lot of us, when we saw, we're like, oh, AI, okay, it's the next new machine translation. Four years ago, machine translation adoption was less than 2%. Right now, it's within the last two years, that's gone to over 60% of our work is driven wow. by AI. Yep. And but wow. what we've done is, is, is migrating people into a higher value um, activity where they're reviewing that content and, and actually checking for voice, tone and style and this cultural connectivity. Like, mm -hmm. okay, you've now got French, but is this the French that's really going to emotionally connect, right? Okay, you've now got French, but is this really the material that's going to drive a better healthcare outcome? Mm -hmm. um, but so, so we're looking at that. I think innovation you know, around AI um, and natural language processing is really driving a lot of opportunity for us um, and is opening up doors to do and communicate in ways that previously you know, weren't possible. Um, I think that's going to be good. Um, and then also outcomes and sort of realizing that to truly address an outcome, you need a much more holistic response. And so you know, we're, we're getting into a lot of new areas that drive this holistic view of an outcome and culture. So, you know, in, when we think about a solution now, it might not just be written translation. It might be a mixture of written, spoken, advertising campaigns, um, in-person meetings and community development, you know, literally in fields, representing organizations, making personal human connections. Um, and I think those two things together are really, you know, driving a very interesting future for us. And, 
You, we the AI too. stuff fa fascinates me. I mean, there was a moment in my life where I managed a company that owned very large call centers and they were trying to divest the call center business. And mm -hmm. you'd think that the natural purchasers might be other call centers, but the big groups that were interested in buying them were yeah. all AI related companies. Yeah. They yeah. just they wanted the data. They wanted yeah. the data. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah, no. Is, is for us too. Like, I mean, you just suddenly realize, you know, that they, there's a lot of value in data. Um, you know, if you, if you create really, you know, artificial intelligence generates very clever students, but you gotta, you gotta, somebody has got to train that student to do something. So yeah. if you think the Google and the Microsoft, you know, they're going to win AI because they create clever students. But then what happens for a company like ours or many of the people listening perhaps is like you, your opportunity is, is training that clever student, that, that artificial intelligence to do something. So it's like, you know, they create the students, they're the parents, but, but we're Harvard, right? Or we're, yeah. you know, we're the educational facility that will train it to do something. And in doing so, they license the value of what it does to us. So we get Nick, the benefit of it. Nick, it's been amazing to talk with you. If someone wanted to learn more about what you and the United Language Group are doing, what's the best place to get in touch with you? Yeah, ulgroup.com, like, you know, the website is the, is the best way to go. Um, you know, it's, uh, th there are lots of links there. United Language Group, um, you know, is, is, the, is the full name, right? UnitedLanguageGroup.com. Um, it's the best way to contact us. There's live assistance there too, so you can get instant response. Um, and then also we do offer 24-7 global response within 30 minutes. So if, if you want to know anything about us, uh, and we do, we're not high attack sales organization and we're very much about you know providing expertise and connecting you to experts so if you contact us we can get somebody who really knows the subject you're looking for and we'll make a connection and sort of provide advice and guidance well i'm happy to know nick that we're building those language bridges those cultural bridges that are really critical right now for any of us that have lived and worked globally we know that this is important on so many societal levels so nick thank you so much for being on the show we've been speaking with nick mcmahon he's the ceo of the united language group the united language group is one of the largest most innovative translation localization and interpreting providers they have offices in over seven countries and on three continents we've been talking to nick about really the progression in the field of translation from just changing the language to really building that deep, critical cultural understanding, especially when it comes to major topics like pandemic care, healthcare, making sure that people really understand, providing groups that perhaps don't have that equitable understanding because they perhaps live in an English market that they might be forgotten. And this will allow them to be really heard. Nick, thank you so much for being on Uncaged today. And we look forward to having you back. Yeah, thanks, man. It's been great. Cheers. Cheers.